Thank you, Shelley, Krista, and Kate. It's lovely to experience uh, worship in person. I'm going to read our scripture for this morning, and we're going to be reading from uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, and from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. I'm reading from the NIV. Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And now from Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. Submission to the authorities. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authority are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. 
May the Lord add the blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray as we anticipate Mark's preaching to us this morning. Lord, we would crave that we could be people who honestly crave humility and that we walk in such a way as to be servants. It is a stretch of our nature for most of us prefer to be served. It is amazing, Lord, that that is how you described yourself when you came the servant of many. It is amazing that that is how you said we are to be great by declaring ourselves also the last and servants of all. These are the great, the great mysteries of it, what it is to be your disciples, Lord. And we, Lord, want to be your disciples. Lord, be with Mark as he speaks with us this morning. We would pray that his words are your words, and the meditations of his heart uh, reflect the spirit in his heart. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be in this building, and we pray for uh, the diaspora of this church, really, as it is scattered throughout Manitoba now. We are grateful for the chance that people can be participating safely at home. But, Lord, we do yearn for a chance where we can be face-to-face, hand-to-hand, embrace-to-embrace, uh, and be able to give that holy kiss that you describe. Thank you for this time, Jesus. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Neil. I also want to add my thanks to you, um, my thanks to Neil's thanks to you, um, for your giving, for your praying, for your participation in the ongoing ministries that we have going on, albeit by either live stream on Sunday mornings or by Zoom on Wednesday evenings or meetings by Zoom. Um, these have been strange and in some ways difficult days. And uh, so far as we can tell, uh, we Bethesda are weathering it quite well. So thank you for your part in that. And we look forward, as Neil just said, uh, to getting together um, sooner rather than later. So that's something for us to pray, pray, pray about. From the beginning of our creation, we've shared several fundamental characteristics of human being that make us uniquely human. We've spoken at length from this pulpit about our most basic common yet divinely ordained characteristics and purpose, which are to image and bear the image and likeness of God our Father and represent him on all the earth. But also from very early on in our human development, basically since our earliest ancestors grew beyond a few families, a distinctive characteristic of human behavior has been to organize ourselves in some semblance of civil society everywhere human beings could be found. Now, our organizational charts have looked different, but organized we have done. And wherever the need or desire for organization has broken out, we've also needed to administer and manage the organization of the civil societies we've established. Over time, 
by more or less effective means, and ostensibly for the common good of those organized, we have formed for ourselves, for better or for worse, human government. Over the ages, the record of human government, of human being, of human history, of human development has been uneven at best. We've organized and been organized as we've governed and been governed. Human character and behavior reveal a patchwork of human aspiration and frailty, human service and ambition, human hope and degradation, human opportunity and oppression, human compassion and disregard, a remarkable capacity to reflect God's goodness and a remarkable capacity for depravity. To be clear, these dichotomous elements are not equal. Good and evil are not equal. All viewpoints are not equally valid. All aspirations are not equally valid. God and the devil are not equal. But all human beings are of equal value before God in Christ Jesus because all human beings have been created uniquely and together in the image and likeness of the one true and living God to represent him on the earth in our time and place. This has always been the case right from the beginning. And this morning, I'd like us to take this time, this ministry of God's word, to think together and biblically about how how we ought to relate to government, specifically as true Christians and as a true local expression of Jesus Christ's church in our time and place. I say as true Christians and as a true local church because that's the intended audience for the biblical text we'll be looking at this morning. But it's also the only audience that can accomplish our goal of practicing it because the Holy Spirit is in, with, and among us. I also say a true local expression of Jesus Christ's church because it needs to be iterated and reiterated, because we need to be minded and reminded that we belong to Jesus. We are not our own. We have been bought with the price of his precious blood. Since we belong to Jesus and comprise his church, we, the church, belong to him to do as he wills. And what I hope and pray for us to see together, to hear together, to believe together, and to practice together as true Christians and as a true local expression of Jesus' church is the central truth of our message this morning. It's in the upper left corner of your bulletin, as we mentioned earlier. Here it is. In times and places, God in Christ Jesus graces us with representative governance. So we're in one of those times, and we're living in one of those places. God in Christ Jesus graces us with representative governance. He sovereignly gives us government we deserve. The role of the true Christian and the true church is to bring the salt of obedience to Jesus Christ and the light of his gospel into the whole space. One more time, in times and places, God in Christ Jesus graces us with representative governance. He sovereignly gives us government we deserve. 
the role of the true Christian and true church is to bring the salt of obedience to Jesus Christ and the light of his gospel into the whole space. I'd like you to know that I did not intentionally schedule this sermon to come just after the tumultuous and transformative events of the last few weeks and months. Hard to believe, I know, but I really had no thought or awareness even of these events when I scheduled it. I have put a bit of pressure on myself to get it right, though, given these events and the current environment. I've also spoken with our elders about this topic over the last while. And then I gave you previews of this message the last couple of Sundays, so that's been a bit of a buildup. My main goal has been to ask you to pray with me and to pray for me as I prepare and as I present what I fear has been too often a misunderstood and misapplied biblical text, especially for us who have a significant opportunity and, I believe, a solemn stewardship to determine our leaders, to be a part of their selection, those who both form and those who represent us in government. They represent us as we represent God. We've also reiterated from this pulpit that there are, or or there should be, no areas of our lives and ministries that have not been touched and are not continually transformed by God's word and God's spirit. Our lives and ministries ought not to be compartmentalized into Christian parts and non-Christian parts, or maybe God's parts and our parts. It's all God's parts, and our whole Christian life is to be lived out holistically in every area, or as I said earlier, the whole space. But I've observed one area in particular, one area of responsibility and stewardship, both in myself and in others, on which we tend to give ourselves and each other a pass. We even joke about avoiding this area intentionally, as if each of us thinking our own thoughts, going our own way, doing our own thing, is not only allowed and expected, but it is also good and necessary to maintain good relationships and to survive in ministry. Well, this just simply isn't true. It's not either good or necessary for us to be intentionally divided or independent of each other. Not if we want to be biblical about it, because there should be no areas in our lives or ministries left untouched or untransformed by God's word and God's spirit. Not coincidentally, this is one of the few areas of responsibility and stewardship that our doctrine and our practice is most often most like the world, and so least distinct from the world, which is also to say least biblical and least distinctly Christian. That area of responsibility and stewardship is, of course, politics and the related areas of voting, of economics, and of government. So these questions emerge. How can we behave least like the world, and most distinctly as true Christians in our politics, in our voting, in our economics, in our government, in our time and place. Question number two. 
How can we behave least like the world and most distinctly as a true local church in our politics, in our activism, in our economics, and in our government, in our time and place? Where are we in that? Question number three. How can we relate least like the world and most intentionally and most biblically to the government as true individual born-again Christians and families in our time and place? And finally, how can we relate, at, uh, how can we relate least like the world and most intentionally and most biblically to government as a true local church and example to those in the world around us? The Bible makes clear that true Christians and true Christian churches ought to have a common, shared, biblical doctrine that leads to unified purpose and action. We ought to believe together and obey together, one Lord in one spirit together, which means we apply God's word for faithful practice together in and for our time and place. Now, I'm not saying for one example of practice that we all need or should vote in lockstep for the same candidates from one party and therefore demonstrating that we are unified. In fact, expectations such as these contribute much to getting us to the place where we are today, which is highly polarized. Because conformity is not unity. And unity is not conformity. I'm going to say that again. Conformity is not unity. And unity is not conformity. Now, conformity can appear to be unity until we look more closely and find there's something wrong with the picture, which is often a loss of personal identity and freedom. That may be conformity, but it's not unity. And unity can result in something like a healthy conformity. For example, if we're being conformed into the image of our one Lord and Savior Jesus Christ together, which is the work of God's word and spirit in the life of true believers and in the fellowship of true churches, we might discover, even expect, that our thinking and our deciding, our values and our behaviors, our doctrine and our practice are becoming aligned, both with Jesus and with each other. This would be a healthy Christian conformity resulting from, flowing out of, reflecting a truer unity with Jesus and each other. Such a truer unity in a healthier conformity with Jesus and with each other is something to be pursued, prayed in, chosen, and not avoided. We might well vote differently still. We might well have differing policy positions still. But the goal would be that our thinking, the way we come to our decisions, and the effects of our choices might all come from the same prayerful, biblical Christian mind and heart. Now, if if you were to ask most biblical Christians, people who know our Bibles in more than a superficial way, where does the Bible speak most clearly about politics or government? They would, perhaps we would, reflexively turn to refer or, or refer to Romans 13. 
Romans 13 has become the go-to text in the Bible, perhaps even the exclusive reference text in some corners that we go to, especially when we want to justify our guy or gal being in or voted into a place of authority. He or she is there because God personally appointed, anointed, ordained. You pick your, you pick your most spiritual sounding verb because God wills him or her to be there. I do find it so very interesting when the other guy or gal get elected, all references to Romans 13 and God's sovereignly good choices cease. Very interesting that. We'll get to Romans 13 in just a few minutes, but but to go there first or exclusively is to do what we, we know we should not do. And what I'm saying we must avoid, which is to take the text out of its context. In this case, both the whole book of Romans and the Bible itself. We don't treat many passages in the Bible this way, taking them completely out of their context, and it's very difficult, if if ever appropriate, to do well. Perhaps John 3.16, for God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Or perhaps Romans 8.28, the whole verse, and we know that God works all things for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Maybe even Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But even with these familiar verses, we know that there's more to these texts, there's more to the story, there's a whole Bible worth of complementary truth for us to consider before we can approach being able to say that we know that we know what God intends. Most harmfully, Romans 13 is almost always interpreted, understood, and applied as if we're still back in first century Rome. We are not. We are in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada in the year 2021. 2,000 years in time and several light years in distance away from first century Rome in learning, in culture, in language, in technology, in every way, actually, including politics, economics, and government. But help us on the way. Please turn with me to our passage in the book of Philippians, Philippians 1, chapter 2, I know of no clearer or better text to turn that provides us the fundamental and ultimate context, not just for Romans 13, but for the whole Christian life and ministry. That holistic context for the true Christian life and fruitful ministry of any true church, including our understanding of Romans 13, 1, comes from Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, which read, Do nothing... Did you catch that subtlety? Do no thing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you, each of us included, Look not only to his or her or our own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. We have an intuitive understanding that these two verses somehow reflect a greater truth, perhaps even something akin to John 3.16, only this is for believers and churches. We know they apply beyond the letter to the Philippians and more generally to the living out of our Christian lives and the conduct of our fellowship and ministry in the church. But to this day, to this very moment, I've never heard, I've never read, and I've never seen their application even hinted at the way we vote or the way we relate to government. Before we move on, I I just want us to note a couple of things about Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. First, and importantly, the context immediately before is verses 1 and 2. I know that's profound, but, but here it is. This is what they say. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being, now this is from the ESV, so it reads a little bit differently than than the, the text that Neil read earlier, of the same mind, speaking of unity of thought, having the same love, it's unity of heart, being in full accord, that's unity of purpose, and of one mind, that's unity with Christ and each other in the Spirit. The context of Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, is the manifested love and affection of God in Christ, the demonstrated conformity of mind and heart with him, and the unified fellowship of Christians in the church. We are to be one with Jesus Christ and with each other in his spirit. The context immediately after, in verses 5 through 8, which Neil also read so well for us earlier, as Neil routinely does, is the example of Christ's loving action. The example, our example, the example for us to follow of Christ's loving action. We simply cannot overstate how relevant these verses are, this truth is to our topic, as well as to the rest of the real Christian life and the true ministry of the church of Jesus Christ in local expression. Listen, listen, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 5 begins with, have this mind among yourselves. Which mind is it that we should have among ourselves? And don't forget or or leave out that part, that, that among ourselves part. It's a key to understanding that we are not to be doing our own thing, going our own way. We are to be one body of one heart and mind. So which mind is it that we should have among ourselves? Well, that would be revealed in our previous two verses, three and four. Do no thing from selfish ambition or conceit 
but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Let each of you, each of us, look not only for his or her or our own interests, but also to the interests of others. So these additional questions emerge. What if we were to apply the deep, abiding, Christ-exalting, and Christ-like truths of these verses to our voting? To the way we do our economics or our politics? To the way we relate to government? What if we no longer looked merely to our own interests, but also to the interests of others? Others not like us. Others not as fortunate as we. That we, like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, humble ourselves and give ourselves up for others. It's not that we disregard our interests, but we consider others more significant than ourselves and their interests at least as equal with our own. Look not for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, if you were expecting or or afraid, perhaps, that I'd say something controversial or partisan or less than impartial, here's here's the closest I'm going to get. I have not observed many evangelical Christians, whatever that means anymore, exercising our right to vote or for that matter, any other rights as citizens in the way I just outlined and suggested that we ought. And me too. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to us all God's word to God's people. Bound together as we are with the Lord Jesus and each other by his spirit, we must do much better. And that at a significant margin, if the statistics are correct, What I mean is we tend to vote right along with the rest of the world, promoting and advancing and protecting our own interests. Lacking any discernible distinction in terms of approach from an unbelieving world. And we relate to government the same way, in our own interests, rather than that of others. I think we're ready for Romans 13 now, so please turn there with me. Romans chapter 13. And as you turn to Romans 13, I'd like to reiterate that this sermon has percolated in my mind and heart for at least 25 years. When I first started noticing a troubling disassociation between our biblical Christian doctrine, what we know to be true, and our specifically political practice, what we do, how we vote, how we exercise political power how we might even pursue it. I had become increasingly uncomfortable with a glaring contradiction in my own political behavior as a Christian. Voting with one political party exclusively, almost no matter what, because of one or two cause issues. Maybe even as much to stay in the good graces of others. But I've seen the error of my ways and I hope to do better from here on out. I'll never again vote for a candidate or a party by rote. He, she, they will earn my vote. It took me 25 years of processing, and I know you're just hearing this for the first time, so I don't want anyone to feel any pressure for me to all of the sudden become anything or to vote in any particular way. This is not about mechanics. 
This is about thinking and acting and being more truly and biblically Christian and a church of Jesus Christ than we have before. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, we read, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. That first sentence in verse 1 is plain. True Christians and true churches obey the laws, ordinance, and rules set out by the government, whether local, provincial, or federal, even when, especially when, we disagree, so long as they don't require us to sin against God. We have an easy application today, don't we? We, we observe COVID restrictions, as Neil mentioned earlier, and Philippians 2, 3, and 4, remember that not only for our own protection, but also for the protection of others, those around us. Now, there are proper ways to petition the government when we believe some injustice or unfairness has occurred, such as allowing the opening of shopping malls, but not churches. The rest of the verse, though, and the rest of the passage through verse 7 is more complicated. It would have been clearer, frankly, in the first century when Romans was written and they were under the rule of a single Roman emperor and his occupying forces. First century Christians and Jews, for that matter, had no input and no hope of input into who governed them, the quality of their governors or changing their governors. But by God's providence and grace, we live in a very nearly in in very very nearly the exact opposite situation. Yet we've only heard Romans 13 preached, taught, and applied as if we're in first century Rome, and God seemingly teleported down an emperor from above onto the throne. Not to state the obvious, but we don't have emperors here in Canada or the United States of America. Yet, we better be careful, though, As we noted earlier, our situation is 2,000 years and several light years away from the setting and the context of Romans 13. We need a fresh and cohesive reinterpretation of Romans 13 to fit our nearly infinitely improved situation from that of our brothers and sisters in Christ from the first century. We cannot overstate the difference. Now, I've had to make an executive decision. I made it this morning which is to end end this message for this morning here. I thought I could do this in one setting, but the better power of valor and considering the seating, considering the interests of others here, considering the seating, attention, bladder, and lunch interests of others means I'll preach part two of true Christians and churches relating biblically to government in our time and place next Sunday. I've had to also apologize to Pastor Yuri because he was supposed to preach next Sunday but I've bumped him a week. I'm not sure whether that's a relief or a burden, but there it is, senior pastor prerogative, I guess. In truth, it's more like senior pastor overreach. So as we close for this morning and in preparation for next week, let's let's just review one more time the central truth of our message, and it will persist then for next week as well. 
In times and places, God in Christ Jesus graces us with representative governance today, in other words. He sovereignly gives us government we deserve. He doesn't drop it down from heaven. We actually choose our representative government. The role of the true Christian and true church is to bring the salt of obedience to Jesus Christ and the light of his gospel into the whole space. Don't go anywhere. I've got a final very brief word after we sing, Um, but let's pray for now. God, our Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for the way you speak to us. I ask that, especially on this topic, that can be so fraught um, that you will speak clearly, that maybe we'll contemplate Philippians 2 once again. It's a very familiar passage, but But let's apply it to this topic because it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Let each one of us consider others more significant than ourselves and look out for their interests as well as our own. Help us, Lord, to to more fully be your people in our time and place, for it's it's, it's all we have. In Jesus' name, amen. As I did last week, I'd like for us to get a picture of the future. Now, this is, this is eternity future. And this is the governance that we will enjoy. This is Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We're even part of that governance. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we come before you now as we depart this gathering. Uh, We thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together by whatever means we are able during uh, this uh, strange and difficult time. We do pray, Father, for relief, for for, uh, the ability to get back together and, and soon. We understand the reasons for uh, the restrictions that are placed upon our being together. Uh, we don't understand all of the decisions uh, that have been made in that regard, uh, but, but we are committed to um, submitting ourselves to you and to do so by submitting ourselves to the government that is in place that, that your scripture says that you have a part in, in putting in place. And so, uh, Lord, help us to walk this kind of narrow lane um, 
being as faithful to you as we can be, as we know to be, and also being good citizens, Lord, in, in the community in which you've placed us. Uh, I pray that you bring us back here very soon, even next Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.